Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I am joined by a good, good friend of mine, somebody who actually changed my life significantly in 2005 by bringing me here to Nicaragua. Um, Somebody who gave me an opportunity that legitimately set me in a direction that I never would have expected to have gone down. A path I've been walking now for the last, whatever, 12 years, trying to sustain this idea of lifestyle design, this idea that We can shape our lives in any way we want if we put our mind to it. We don't have to stay stuck in situations that we are unhappy with. Now, there are certain circumstances where people are in prison, and you're not going to change that. But for people that aren't in prison, they do have choices to make. And, you know, Jack Yusuferi, the guest today, is somebody who is a doer. He's a self-starter. He is somebody who has accomplished a lot in his life and is still always searching for something new, something different and trying to make a difference in the world. So with that said, Jack, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chapin. Yeah, this is a long intro. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> Thank you, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, welcome. It's uh, kind of the end of an era for you here in Nicaragua. I mean, yeah. it's Higante specifically where you made your mark yeah. in 2002 or three ish I believe, is when you first got here. Yeah. Um, before I even came and got married, bought land, got married to a local woman, and then... Our paths crossed in 2000 and four, maybe two. Yeah. End of 2004. We hadn't been in touch since high school. Jack yeah. and I were in high school together and you told me what you're doing. I asked for a job. You said, no, <laughs> you didn't need anybody yeah. at that time. And then you uh, contacted me a few months later saying, yes, come on down. Yeah. And then boom, the rest is history. But I mean, you're here today to kind of, I think, take us down your path in life, why you came here hmm. and then talk about, I mean, a lot of your decision to leave and not make this your life. You know, like you tasted the expat life for a long time. Yeah. But you, I think are a good sounding board for those people out there who, yeah, might be interested in making this like life for themselves, but then hearing your story and reasons that you have tried it and then chose not to continue with it. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe let's just start back a little bit about your upbringing. You know, were you always a traveler? You grew up with me in Newport beach, California. Yeah. I mean, were your parents taking you on trips? Like, where'd you get your travel bug from? Okay. Um, right. So, yeah, I did travel a lot as a child. And I was always happiest traveling. And, you know, I was privileged enough to, to be able to travel as a child and then as uh, in high school and in college. And so that's kind of the segue. What brought me down here was, you know, we were... We, we grew up in a fairly privileged area and I had several friends whose families had houses in Costa Rica in the nineties. And, um, we just kind of in college, me and some, some friends would jet down fairly regularly to Costa Rica and surf. And that was just like the best that life I could ever imagine life being was when we were on bro trips surfing in Costa Rica. Why though? I mean, I mean, I get the adventure of it, the simplicity of, you know, a life in Costa Rica, the waves, you being free with your friends. Yeah. But like, how was that just the best for you? Yeah, it was really the sense of freedom 
both the freedom of being kind of in some sort of like frontier type thing where you don't have to worry about you know laws so much or people judging you so much. And then also the freedom that again comes with privilege is just like, you know, just, I had some money, you know, was, um, and especially having money relative to in the local economy, there is that extra like freedom. That's a, a really true freedom. You're, you're more free than other people to do stuff, you know, looking back. And I think that's, what attracts a lot of people, whether they recognize it or not, is that you just have, you, there's more economic op- range of opportunity in like less developed areas because things are cheaper to do. Right. Um, and, and there's not all the formal structures of regulations, et cetera. Yeah, all the red tape that you would have trying to yeah. build a home back in yeah. the States aren't here. <laughs> for good or for, yeah. uh, you know, worse. Like, yeah. there's pros and cons. So, that's where you kind of the bug bit you. It sounds like, and then I know you went to university. You had ambitions to do. Yeah. Uh, what were you? What were you majoring in? So, so my plan, basically, which is what I think you're getting at, is so I majored in political science and history, and my plan was to either go to law school or uh, school of international relations after uh, undergrad. And so, for the programs I was looking at uh, applying to, they generally wanted a couple years of international experience before they would accept you. They wanted you to have a little taste of real life. And so um, Peace Corps was like the standard like model, join the Peace Corps, or if you're religious, like volunteer at the church for a couple of years or something. And I, for various reasons, just was skeptical of those institutions. And also had, you know, and I had, uh, right before I graduated college, spent some time in Nicaragua, fairly relatively significant amount of time and had purchased this beachfront lot, like just cause I, I had seen enough to know that this is one opportunity that made a lot of sense. And among many that were very sketchy and I could have lost my shirt a million times. And I did actually like the investments you made were at that point in time, like very unstable. No. So, no. So I, there were a lot of opportunities that I came across in Nicaragua, I was actively looking. Okay. And it was at such an early stage of development. It was very difficult to get your wits about you, like where you are and see the future a little bit. Like I, I saw the future in terms of this place is going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot more investment. There'll be a lot of economic opportunity. But like, for example, I was at a ribbon cutting at Rancho Santana and there was precisely one house built there. And that was before it was even Rancho Santana. And it basically Rancho Santana was just one among countless lotifications. And there was no way for me, at least with the knowledge that I had to, to know that Rancho Santana would become an anchor development community in this coastline versus like countless lotifications that are just now like hillside, barren hillsides that became nothing, you know? And so I was like look, trying to suss all that out on this coastline. And I, and I, and I spent literally months looking and I said, like, I can't figure it out. And I went back and I finished, um, college. I almost, I, I get, I'm not sure if I actually, fin- I know, I know I owned it before I finished college, but I went back, did a couple of quarters more at college and was visiting friends down here. I was actually visiting salad, salad, Steve. Okay. Um, and I was surfing, I was just on vacation and I met a guy out in the water and his name was Rob Dahl. And he told me, and I basically rode out with him in the water and he's like, well, come out to this place where, where I've got some land and just see this beach. And it wasn't like looking for land. It's just like just a tourist. And then I stumbled across this place and I bought it like without knowing what I was going to do with it. 
what was that process like? I mean, back then, like, how did you know the individual who owned the house that you bought? Like, how did you contact them and find them? So, um, so Rob, not a realtor, just a guy. Um, he, we, we came to Higante and I had heard there was a kind of a cool house for sale at the beach. And Rob had also heard that. So we just came down and looked at it together and he had, he's kind of tapped out. He bought a lot of land down here and we, he and I kind of looked at each other and went, this looks really attractive. And so, um, he, I believe he knew, uh, Don Harold and Donya Siuna, the, the local family who is, um, at that point, very prominent on this, this beach area. Yeah, they had multiple homes, multiple homes. And they were like, their history in the country is, you know, in, in the Tola region is, is very significant, very well respected people for good reason. And, um, I just reached out to him, you know, 21 years old, not speaking great Spanish, not really knowing what the fuck's going on in general in life and had, you know, tried to do as much due diligence as I could. I had no experience buying land anywhere. And I put, you know, I had a lot of fear, but I had to put some faith in my attorneys and the legal system. And anyway, yeah, I ended up, ended up buying it. It's incredible, dude. I mean, I knew most of that story, but I mean, just to hear you articulate, yeah, just that insecurity, yeah, not knowing, having to put trust yeah. into a system that a lot of people didn't trust. For good reason. Yeah. And, and it paid off. I mean, we'll get into that maybe later yeah. in the conversation, but like, um, I, we've, as you just discussed, just I mean, this coastline is scarred with so many people coming down with this idyllic sort of idea of how they're going to make their mark, how they're going to get rich quick. Yeah. And it was like a gold rush yeah. for a lot of years there. And it just, all these developments failed yeah. and everyone lost their shirts. Yeah. And you managed to navigate through a lot of that with a lot of smart investing, but luck too, mm-hmm. you know, timing, whatever it may be. And so when did you meet Susan and how did that whole thing unfold? <laughs> um, I met Susan. This so, is his Nicaraguan wife. Yeah, ex-wife. Ex-wife. Um, I, um, I was splitting, I was basically living in Revis at Salad Steve's house. I was his like roommate. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, I think he I hit his cleaning lady who was Nanoska, um, introduced me to her sister who was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And basically I, and she spoke English, like pretty good English. And I was serious about wanting to learn Spanish. I was studying Spanish just on my own. And, um, this beautiful young lady was telling me her passion is languages. And I was like, well, if I would love to learn Spanish, would you be my Spanish instructor? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so like first class, I was like, let's just go out to my house that I just bought at the beach and we'll do like a all day intensive. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, dude. And so one thing led to another, you know? Yeah. yeah. Can we rewind real quick? Cause I think the audience needs to know like, so you were doing the Costa Rica thing for a lot of years. College buddies had house there. You were an avid traveler. And then what brought you across the border to Nicaragua? Cause I mean, yeah. back so, then like Costa was like the place. Yeah. Um, and nobody was coming to Nicaragua. Yeah. There's still a huge stigma behind what was going on yeah. here. They, everyone still thought there was revolution, even the revolution had ended like yeah. a decade prior. So what brought you across the border? Well, I'll tell the extended version. You can edit it out if, okay. if it gets too long. <laughs> Please do. But basically uh, in 1992, my dad, my parents were divorced. And I think my dad, you know, wanted to spend as high quality time with me as possible, you know, 
And he said, spring break, 1992, I, I was in junior high, I guess, or maybe a freshman. I think I was eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, where, where do you want to go in the world? Let's do this, you know? And, um, and I was, it was between fishing in Alaska. My dream had always been to catch salmon. Okay. Or it was Costa Rica. And I was, cause I was like just starting to surf. And I chose Costa Rica and we went to Tamarindo, which was at that point kind of a frontier town, believe it or not. Dirt road. Dirt road. No airport. No airport. But we got down there and I, I, was savvy enough to the world, even at that point, from whatever, to go, like... And everyone was trying to sell land, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Dad, buy land, you know, 13 years old. And he's like, son, all these people are going to lose everything. This is all scam. This is not, you know? And um, and then I w- went down to Costa Rica a number of times throughout the 90s, and I watched Tamarindo, those lots that were selling for $10,000, become million-dollar homes, within eight years, you know? Um, so I saw that model anyway. And, and I was just, cause I've, I think I've always had a bit of a speculator's brain or whatever. And I was like, well, eh. and so in college, I remember, um, I, my buddy and I were both like one quarter ahead in academics. So we were going to, we were on schedule to graduate one quarter in advance, which then we wouldn't be able to walk with our friends or whatever. So we took a quarter off of UCSB just to like bum around Costa Rica. And we were based in Dominical for a while. And my buddy was like, Hey, I keep hearing about this place in Panama. It's called Bocas del Toro. I'm going to go there. It sounds amazing. And I was like, you're making a classic mistake of like, you've, we found everything we want. We have it right now. Don't seek more. Right. And he's like, I'm going, I'm like, I'm staying. So he came back, he went down there for, I don't know, couple weeks or something came back showed me pictures told me stories and just blew my mind his mind was clearly blown and he's like now we're going to nicaragua and you're fucking coming mm-hmm. and i was like all right dude like i can't miss out on this twice yeah so his we were like backpacking around his dad was his dad came down to visit us coincidentally like right when we were plan- we were gonna do the nicaragua thing so we were like trying to research Nicaragua, and I think this was year 2000, as best I can recall. We we're trying to research Nicaragua online, you know, and even then online, it was still like early days, kind of, you know. Yeah. But definitely, we couldn't find any information on Nicaragua, and but we were in Costa Rica, and for for listeners who don't know, Costa Ricans have a lot of prejudice towards Nicaraguans in Nicaragua, and so we'd ask people, and they're like, "It's dangerous. The people there will rob you. Just like you're gonna die," you know. And, but I had, we all, my, my buddy and I had a lot of fear and his dad was literally crying when he dropped us off at the airport or at the, at the border between, um, Costa Rica and Nicaragua. And we just didn't know what was on the other side. And we took a taxi or maybe a chicken bus. I don't, I think Mm -hmm. we actually took a chicken bus into San Juan del Sur and like, it didn't take long for me to go, Oh, I get what's going on here. There's already a presence. There was some presence. Like there was already like San Juan has has always been the resort town of of Nicaragua, even when there was no foreign presence. Mm -hmm. And it just was like, it was just coming in. It was like what you dream about. You come into like this, you know, quote unquote, undiscovered or, you know, paradise. And you just, I saw, I was like, I'm going to be here a while, you know, 
and I, I saw that I wanted to, because I'd been ca very casually, you know, looking around in Costa Rica, but Costa Rica was always getting, already getting expensive. From I was on, you know, I didn't have a ton of money to invest. I was a college student who who benefited from a tech bubble in stocks. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so that was like the story. I mean, of coming here. That's interesting too when you start to really piece that together in my mind, where you get to San Juan, you see it, you see the potential, but then you spend a lot of time continuing to search. You know, a lot of people come, they see it, they're like, this is it, and they rush right in yeah. and buy something. Yeah. And then they figure out as they go. And there's yeah. pros and cons to that. Yeah. Um, I think with discovery that you made of Gigante, yeah. and now contrasting that with the way San Juan has gone, you know, from an investment point of view, both would have been fine. Yeah. It would have been it would have been a sound investment. But as far as location and, and where you actually did wind up investing, like Yeah. I mean, man, that's like winning the lottery, dude. Yeah. Like this little village has been growing, investments have been good, but it hasn't changed that much. You know, it still has a very small fishing village vibe. Good people. Yeah. Where San Juan is just like this Shit giant show. mutating monstrosity. Yeah. Of whatever, positive, negative, yeah. whatever you want, you can find it there. Yeah. So I think for the listeners out there, when you travel there's a lot of benefit in following like a Jack model where, you know, you might see that opportunity somewhere and you have that rush of may I, dare I call it greed even yep. where you're like, Oh, there's opportunity here. I need to get it now. Cause I'm going to miss it. Yeah. Like if you could like restrain that a little bit, sit tight, watch around. Like I suggest to anybody who comes down and goes anywhere in the world, spend a year, Yeah. you know, like, yeah, you might miss out on a few things for sure. Opportunities to make money, whatever, but there's always way more. Yeah. And there's going to be a sounder one, a safer one, a better one. And, you know, just to sort of riff off that a little bit, you, the way you're going to find the best value for yourself is orienting yourself, getting to know the lay of land, but more importantly, people getting to know you and trust you and like you. And then things are going to come your way where there's where, no matter who you are, where you're going, people are already there and they're already doing things and they need help in certain regards and you can plug in. But if you're just new guy, Joe Schmo with a big wad of cash, you're going to take advantage of, it, you know, yeah. but if you're, if you're like, surely you're an upstanding person, like things will kind of approach mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I think I want to tie this into the, the, the kind of storyline of this episode as well, where, you know, as you travel and as you live abroad, we measure each other and our kind of social status within the community by time spent, you know, in a spot. And whether you like it or not, I mean, everyone says they don't like it, but yeah. at the same time, when, when you realize you've been there longer than somebody, like they immediately like will let you yeah. um, give advice, for example, in, in a group of people when you're talking about X, Y, Z, yeah. because they know you've been here longer. And so yeah. they step down. And, and the point I was trying to make with all this is like San Juan del Sur, when you discovered it, as you just described, like this new frontier, incredible, but like, as we both know, in like 1852, yeah. because of the book that you shared with me, Tycoon's War, yeah. there is every single shop owner in San Juan was not Nicaraguan. Yeah. You know, so someone's always been there before you. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting for us as we travel and meet, see new places to feel like we're the, the first ones there. Yeah. But, you know, check your ego because there's been a lot of people there before you. And yeah. whether they're there or not now, like... Yeah. Um, but like, as you just said, like stick around, feel it out, get orientated. Yeah. And ego is like, I don't know, you mentioned that word and that's like just something that I, I always think about ego. And I think it's cause I'm, I, I just know, I don't like people who have big egos. Mm -hmm. And I'm also like always afraid that I have a big ego, you know, mm -hmm. or come across as having a big ego. And, and I think 
something that has like fed into that and my journey on ego is like being Jack in Higante where like I come into town and people, everyone knows me and I don't know them, but like there's this inherent like deference. And then if, if I'm like, if I let my ego get out of control, then all of a sudden, yeah, I'm just like this pontificating asshole, you know, it feels like you're better than everybody. Cause you've yeah. been here the longest. Yeah. Right. And, um, so that's something that I'm always like, you know, then I, so I kind of go the other way. A lot of times I like kind of try to be like low pro cause I just don't want to deal with it. But yeah, I think about, I was like, just came from yoga class and like, it was such an amazing practice and class. And I felt so privileged to be there. Cause like, I didn't even know the dude who was leading the class or many people who I was doing it with, but I would just, I was granted access to that yoga class, that free yoga class. Amazing. Just cause like I've been here a while. You know, yeah, cause it's kind of an insider yoga. Like yeah. not everyone gets to go. Yeah. It, it's not like publicized. Right. Yeah. And so it was just like, it was a privilege of just having been here a while basically. Yeah. And I guess also like that I'm not, an, I'm not a huge asshole, you know, <laughs> yeah. if I'd been here a while and I was a huge asshole, I still would. But anyway, yeah. So, yeah. Um, you made multiple investments over the years while you were here, while we were running Giants Foot Surf. Giants Foot Surf was, Jack was the founder of Giants Foot Surf. He brought me and two other people into the loop at one point. We ran it for a lot of years together. Um, and you continue to make other investments along the coast with other partners, so forth and so on. But at one point with Susan, your ex-wife, you decided this isn't for me anymore. I'm going back to the States. Yeah. And you left us here to run the business and went home. Why? Um, because I came down here looking for something and my life was just totally not what I was looking for. And I was, cause you, wait, you came down here looking for something that your life wasn't at the moment. No. So I came down here and I started a surf camp thinking what everyone assumes you're thinking when you start a surf camp when you're 21 or whatever, what are they think? you're what? thinking I'm going to surf all the time uh-huh. and I'm going to be like partying to the extent I want. Maybe I'll be like meditating and finding enlightenment and I'm going to be making money and I'm laughing. Like what's the problem? It's a dream. Dream life. It's a dream. So instead I was always in Managua shopping or in Revis with bankers and lawyers and you, Chapin, mm-hmm. were scoring surf and laughing. You know, you were, you were enjoying it. You were getting the good time. And everyone else, the guests were having a great time, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Zach and Carol were having a great time. And, and you guys were, we all had stresses, a crazy stress, mm-hmm. not to denigrate any stress that you had, you know, and, but I just knew that for me, I was at the breaking point. I was, I was 26 years old. And I was like, okay, I saw the future and I was like, A, my relationship sucks and I'm not having any fun. I'm stressed all the time. I'm kind of drinking a lot, which I've never really been a big drinker, but like I was like drinking a lot and I was like, okay, I came down here to be down here for a few years and go back to grad school and basically like pursue a, you know, relatively traditional hyper successful life, you know? (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I could stick this out. And probably lose my marriage. There's the business wasn't looking like incredibly successful, you know. And um, personally, like I was just thinking, I will become an alcoholic. I'll be that expat asshole. The bitter, just like you should have been here when I was first here at, at like 30 years old, you know. <laughs> yeah, and so it was like kind of obvious to me. Like I gave you guys like a year's notice, and I was like, I just knew that like I'm just stick with the plan A. Mm-hmm kind of made extra sense at that point, you know? 
Um, so yeah, so we're back. Yeah, one thing I wanted to add to that because I was very aware of the privilege that I had within the, the, our our business relationship, which yeah. was I got to do all the cool shit. Yeah. And you never, ever made me feel bad about that. You took responsibility for the side that you kind of had to under the circumstances, being the, yeah. guy, the financier, if you will, of the whole enterprise. Yeah. In Revis, in Managua, doing the shops, and you did it with a smile, always. That's, and I, that's not true. <laughs> well, it was, <laughs> Maybe actually. on the like, outside. I never but... felt like you never made me feel guilty. You never made Zach and Carol feel guilty. Well, that's a testament to my like uh, acting skills. Well, it was amazing. And I always just wondered how you were capable of, of maintaining that sort of like... That's uh, interesting because I thought, I mean, I was at the breaking point and I thought that was apparent to everyone. No, not at all. And we were shocked when you decided to bail, to be honest. Well, I think maybe also you guys saw me. I was so stoked to be here when, when I was here because I was true. so rarely here. So like mm-hmm. I'd come in and I'd just be like the life of the party for like two hours before I had to go to sleep and just be like, so, you know, and then, yeah, no, that then was off to Revis in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I didn't know it was that intense for you and to that extent. Like, wow, one really. of the driving forces of you leaving. Um, but yeah, so you bailed 2006 and you left us here. And, and I mean, there's we stayed for a lot of years. And yeah. you would come and go occasionally. I yeah. There's years we didn't see you. Yeah. Um, and you were finishing grad school. You studied. I was in grad school, yeah. What were you studying in grad school? So studying global political economy. Yeah. And did you finish grad school? Yeah, I did. So I, well, I eventually did. I went, I came back from Nicaragua. I went to, uh, did one year at grad school as a two year program. After the first year, I actually, um, sort of dropped out and got a job that was like this dream job. And so I worked in that for a few years. And then I was going to, uh, I'd actually given notice at that job because I was going to take over. Um, I was going to run this like clean tech startup. Um, and, in Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So I had given notice my job and I was moving to Boulder and I went out, I was, I'd been flying out there on the weekends. And then I went out for like one last minute, like orientation, like here's the plan. So get the, hit the ground running January one. And like, I just realized the whole company was just a big like scam. Hmm. And, and the guy who was like hiring me, like realized that I realized that. And it was just like, okay, that's like the thing that I've totally reoriented my life to do in two weeks that's not happening. Hmm. So what, what's happening? And then, you know, I, you can take it from there, but I, I basically, you know, I got, I, I, we, you and you and me and Zach and Carol have been talking about what are we going to do with the business? I think you guys were all at burnout point. Yeah. This is what? 2010, I believe it was 2000, um, like nine or no, it, it, when they, that was 2000, maybe very beginning of 2009. Right. Or you sold at the end of 2009, like early 2010. Right? Yeah. So that was 2009. It was yeah. like, that was like literally like January 2009. Yeah. And I got in touch with you guys and I, I think, I'm not sure how it all went down, but basically somehow I was able to pivot from, I'm going to run a clean tech startup in Boulder, Colorado to, we all want to split, we want to sell the business and I got some time on my hands. So, and I'm, I was kind of tired of the first world. So I came down here mm-hmm. and then uh, my new job was like packaging and selling giants foot. Yeah, that's right. But that was just, that was a brief, another brief moment of time of Jack's presence in Nicaragua because yeah. you were here. We, you helped us sell the business. Um, everyone went their separate ways. Zach and Carol went back to the States and then, but you went back to the States too for another shot at corporate, corporate life, right? Well, Before. it was, no, I wouldn't call it corporate. I've never worked for like a company that's bigger than like five people. Right. But yeah, so I went back, but you've always loved, so Jack's 
a huge fan of Santa Barbara, as everybody who went to UCSB is. He's always gone back there, yeah. made roots there, yeah. and then come back to Nicaragua when he at times feels like selling a business yeah. or selling some of his property or starting new ventures. Yeah. And so that kind of happened again. Like you came back, we sold Giants Foot, we all went our separate ways. You went back to the States, did your thing a little bit longer. Yep. And finished then, grad school. Finished grad school. And then you're like, I'm burnt out, I'm coming back and I'm starting a new venture. Well, it kind of like I basically I had a little chunk of change, and when I say lo, lo, little chunk of change, like people in the first world might think, oh, he might be talking about you know a million dollars. Like mm-hmm. I'm talking about a little chunk of change. I'm talking about tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I'm not talking, you know. And but um, I had this money, and uh, my attorney down here, who has very good connections in this community, I had always told him, hey man, just keep an eye out. There's like a great opportunity in real estate that comes comes across comes across your desk in. Higante, like, I just, I'd like to know about it. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he mentioned to me, um, the piece of property that we, my, my, um, I think she was, she was still my wife, my, my, my then, my now ex-wife and I purchased together. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were like about to d- divorce. We were basically going already kind of in process, but we, it was an amicable enough thing that we like went in on it together. Um, so we purchased that. I guess that's not really what you thought the story. So, so we bought that piece of land, which kind of just sat there mm-hmm. and that was just like kind of speculative investment. But then I was like, so I was working in as an investment advisor in Santa Barbara and like, again, like dream life, like, like, you know, great office, great kind of everything going for me. And then I, um, was sort of like recruited. I kind of had this social enterprise entrepreneurial idea that I ran across someone who said, yeah, like, let's do that, but only if you quit your job and move back to Higante to do that. And then I, um, so I did. Okay. And you came back with a new idea. Cause yeah, yeah you've always been very entrepreneurial. I'm an ideas guy for better or worse. Guy. worse. And it's always uh, an idea that not only improves the environment, but the lives of the people who are involved. I like to tell myself that. Okay. Well, my, I would, I would second that motion. Like that seems to be always your motivation is. Yeah. My motivation. Helpful. But I mean, I think you're also somebody who would like to see those investments and the time you put into it pay off. Yeah. You know, it's not pro bono. Like you're coming down to create yeah. a, yeah. I think it was like a green hotel or something like that. Yeah. That then, yeah. You know, and just, go ahead. I mean, just to back up, like when I was, when, when I started giant's foot, like my, I was like, okay, there's like, it's only a fishing village. There's basically nothing but fishing. These people are super poor. I'm going to come down and like bring jobs and opportunity <laughs> to the locals, uh-huh. you know, and I'm going to make a bunch of money and I'm going to surf all the time and I'm going to do it all permaculture and yeah, save the world and the community. And, and like that went out the window basically day one. It was like, cause it was, or else the business dies. Right. You know, and we still see that today. I mean, ever, there's a lot of people coming out with that exact same idea. And a lot, a lot of people try to stick it out, but that yeah. it does usually die. No yeah. offense to those who have attempted, but yeah. why? Why does it usually die, do you think? Um, lack of understanding of how much capital I think it takes. Because I think you can build a very successful, uh, a, a more successful business if you do it in the uh, environmentally and socially like conscious way. But you, it takes a lot more front-end investment to do that because you have to provide a premium product, and that mm-hmm. takes... That takes more investment. It takes just more capital, more ramp. And, um, and so, yeah, I was trying to bootstrap a business and you can't, you just can't bootstrap a business while paying people double what their natural wage would be if, you know, and 
trying to, you know, put in solar panels when your, when your primitive roof is leaking. Like there's just basics that I was so young, didn't understand. Mm. Uh, it's kind of a weird tangent, but no, it's not, it's very relative because it is seen a lot. And there's a lot of, I think listeners out there who want to come down and try to do something positive for the communities, yeah. you know, and, and also want to make money and trying to marry that and, and give it a good go. I think it gives them good perspective on the amount of people that we've seen attempt and fail is countless. Like I can't oh, yeah. even count on, you yeah. know, 10 hands, but I mean, do we know any success stories who have done that here? People that have actually come and created the eco lodge that is actually really not only helping the community, but saving the environment and making them the kind of money that they hope to make. I don't know how Morgan's Rock is doing. Yeah, I mean that was kind of the the original like big funded project that is still around. Yeah, but um, again, big capital behind that. Yeah, I don't know, and they might be failing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of research and find out. Actually, I know a guy who might be taking over management of that, which might indicate that it's not doing well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just so many factors here, and it's. I mean, yeah, you can pay a skilled labor here double what they're worth, but they still usually don't do it correctly, yeah. which means you have to go back two or three times and fix it, which adds more capital and time. And not to mention, as we talked about the corruption in that beginning, which allows us that freedom from a lot of laws yeah. that we like, like staying here because of, but then in the end, once they realize that you're making money, there's a tax man coming and being like, without looking at any of your books yeah. says you owe the government this amount of money yeah. now yeah. or we're shutting you down. Yeah. So it's a really interesting way to have to navigate business life in a place like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you came back and you and you had that investment, the second investment with uh, your lawyer and your ex-wife, and you were down here now trying to build a eco yeah hotel. So I was I was down here. Um, we'll see if I want to keep this part in the interview, but um, <laughs> we don't have to go that deep. I was kind of just more yeah. going to gloss over that and go f- to the restaurant. Okay, cool. You know, cause yeah, the whole eco thing just didn't work out. Yep. And then, but you had this nice little piece of property that yep. was just sitting there yep. and you're here anyways. Yeah. You're like, what can I do with it? I guess I'll, I'll enter that. So I did, I came down here. I like gave up my, just to clarify for the listeners, cause <laughs> I still haven't processed it fully psychologically. Okay. Like I had everything going for me in Santa Barbara and I reached, I was like, and I had, I was granted, I thought I was granted this opportunity to have again, like perfectly. Like, this opportunity to run an eco boutique start an eco boutique hotel with enough capital, like then actually benefit the community. Cause now I've, I've, I'd learned so much more about so many more things and I had all this, but again, for reasons we don't have to get it, but it, it was too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And that was like, and I was told that like, it wasn't like out of the blue, but like in retrospect, like people who I really trusted was like, dude, there are some fundamental weaknesses in, mm-hmm. in your business plan here. Yeah. Um, so it failed. Yeah. To me, unexpected, like, you know, kind of crumble, like all of a sudden in one moment to the next, I was like, I'm, I'm out. So then, so now what do I have? I'm recently single, recently gone through a divorce, don't have a ton of money. And I'm in like the frontier of Nicaragua again, you know, and I, I know my way around. And I have a piece of property. You have relationships with the mayor of Rivas yeah. and Tola. Yeah. And like they know you by your first name basis. So yeah, but you know, and I had this piece of property that's super run, run down that little house, like modest by anyone's standards. And so I was like, well, I don't, you know, now do I apply for jobs in like, you know, first world or do I stick around? And so I, what I decided to do was I had just enough money 
to fix up this piece of property that I had and, uh, you know, make basically turn into a rental property. And again, like not knowing what I'm doing, like I should, I still should, I should have turned into like a rental like house. But I just, my vision was this place should be a restaurant. Like I see a restaurant, bar restaurant. Mm -hmm. So I did that. And then, um, like hit it off with a, a kid who yep. was local here. We had shared a vision for what we wanted to do. So we started a, a restaurant bar. And, uh, and it's still a restaurant bar today, which you don't run. Yeah. yeah. And that's why you're here. I mean, that kind of brings yeah, us yeah. up to present. I mean, you came back. Well, so you had the restaurant bar with a partner. Yep. Um, that partnership didn't really work out, but you leased it to a new couple who were really yeah. eager to run it as, as it was. Yeah. And, um, that's been maintained now for years. Yeah, they're doing well. Yeah. They're doing super well. But now you're here present day, present yeah. moment. Jack flies in on a whim. I've sold it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't a whim. Like I was basically coerced. I had to, I had to be here in person uh-huh. to, to sign off on the papers uh-huh. and it was la- very last minute. And, um, I had to, I'm, I'm skipping or I'm having my law school finals postponed because I'm, I'm here and, um, missing my little baby a lot to be here and just yeah, sign the papers and I'm just in and out. And there's a lot of people who have got formed, you know, fairly tight relationships with over the years who I feel like I need to visit and I might, and I won't be able to visit with all of them and catch up. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I'm going to make my, my ex-wife and I are going to make again, some money, mm-hmm. not a killing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a, I think a lesson that you and I have both seen is like, you should definitely reach for the stars, you know, and try and start businesses that have high margins and a lot of potential and recognize that like, sometimes you just got to take your chips off the table when you got a couple more than you started. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. Um, because although we see the growth happening and it's like happening at a rate that I think both of us would agree hasn't ever happened before. I mean, we're on a little beach, it's a sand spit and within six months there could be a tsunami wipes everything out yeah. <laughs> you know so i mean you don't know yeah and uh holding out sometimes like you said just if you're not yeah. feeling like it's right to hold out and you that little greed monsters on your shoulder being like oh you can make 10 times after you just hold on another five years yeah check yourself real quick because yeah like you said if you have an extra few chips and the, something's not right like yeah. take them off the table yeah um but so yeah i mean it's the end of an era dude like yeah you have one more property, I believe, up in Santana, which is not Gigante. Yeah. And we're in Gigante now. Jack's left a huge mark here, a huge impression on a lot of people here. Yeah. You're loved by a lot of the people here. Are you going to be coming back to visit us? Are you kind yeah. of just done? You're going to, you have other partners with that property up, I know, north of Santana. Yeah. That you guys talk about doing something with, maybe not, but it's not yeah. as big of a financial burden as yeah. something else. Like, what's the plan? Cause you're in law school now. I'm in law school and I have like a five year and a 10 year plan uh-huh. for Santa Barbara. And my wife and I both love Vancouver Island as well. Your new wife with a brand new baby yeah. boy, two years old, a one yeah. year old, two, years, two old. years old, almost two. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and we don't know, uh, really, you know, we have a plan for Santa Barbara. That's a pretty solid plan, but we're, you know, always just, we're both travelers at heart. And, um, we all, I think after a couple of years in the first world, both she and I just get antsy and that's, that's a curse, not a blessing. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, so, you know, I had no idea what I was going to feel when I came down here. Cause I have so such crazy deep, um, experiences here that have been so emotional, such high highs, such low lows, like such fear, like, so, like so many vic- victories. It's just been a lot. And, um, 
so th- things, emotions have been flooding back during the course of this trip. Um, I wasn't, my first impression, because I'm only here for a couple of days, my first impression has not been that I'm like loving it, you know? Why? Um, I think because of the, uh, the sense of I got here, you know, quote unquote first, I didn't get here first, right? But I got here very early stage and I was very clear with myself that like I was planning to make a lot of money off being here early and understanding this area and, um, getting to know what's right and what's wrong and how to do things. And my intention was always like, yeah, I want to, I want to make a lot of money here. And, um, and I see now there's crazy infrastructure. There's an airport that's just gone in. The road just got paved all the way here. When I got here, there was barely power. There was not a chance of running water. There was just nothing. There was not phone service. And now to see everything going in and it's poised for huge growth and there's so much, so much money. And I'm making, if you average out the amount of money I'm making by the amount, by the number of years I've been here, I'm making very, very little money for the time I've spent down here. And it's, so I'm, I'm feeling like a kind of like a failure. There's a little bit of that of like, man, all this is happening and I didn't really benefit from mm-hmm. it financially like I wanted to. So there's some of that. And so, and so basically you could probably summarize that as like jealousy or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and then, but I'm only here for such a brief time that I don't think I'm here long enough to really form like really to get right in my head about this all. And I just came from a yoga, again, a yoga practice that was so beautiful with such beautiful new members of this new community that makes me um, rethink again, like, oh, well, maybe I was just here early and those frontier days were great for what they were, but the community that I've always hoped this place would grow into, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that's exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. So um, do I want to just totally abandon this community right when it's like an organic bakery is probably going to open up tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I can yeah. see where you're coming from. I mean, cause you basically did everything right. I mean, you kind of, you studied up, you got an edge, an education, the third world politics and yeah. business and everything like that. Yeah. You position yourself at the beginning, you know, and like you just said, that margin that should yeah. have been there yeah. is just now kind of starting to show its face yeah. and like, well, getting out now you feel like, fuck, there's so much more opportunity to yeah. collect a little bit more on the time spent here and the investments that I make. But again, we don't know, like anything could happen. Yeah. And so you take, you take chips off the table and maybe you, you, you put the feelers out again, another rad opportunity pops up and you get in. And My feelers are always out. If you have, <laughs> anybody has any opportunities, <laughs> you know. Yeah, always... but to give some people perspective because a lot of the Higante expats have been on this podcast. Like Dale came first to Higante. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jack came second. Rob Higante. Dahl came second. Rob Dahl, sorry, because he had Brio. Yep. Jack came third. Is yep. that correct? Yep. Um, but in terms of living here on the ground, you were. I was the first expat to live here. Right. Dale actually did spend significant time here. But yeah, of course. Dale shipwrecked in San yeah. Juan, but he had sailed through here in like the 70s. Like yeah. He knew of Higante before a lot of people knew of Higante. Yeah, yeah. And I'm never but I mean, gonna... for the listeners, so they kind of know that how this all fits together. So Jack brought a lot of people here who then brought a lot more people here. Yeah. And one of those people he brought was me. Yeah. And then another person that I brought was John. And yeah. John's been on multiple episodes, you know, Captain John Robert Eames, episode 27, somebody who has also left a huge imprint on this community. But you can kind of now see the timeline and how we all are affected by Jack's decision to invest in Nicaragua, and uh, it's it's played out as it as it has, and like a lot of cool people have come and gone, a yeah. lot of investments have been made and lost. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of craziness. A lot and of crazy Danger. Cool and uh, there's an amazing amount of tragedy miraculously averted. I'm all, I always marvel that, like, people haven't died here. Like, we don't really know, like... Yeah, I mean, people have. People but have, but... Yeah. They were usually people who were doing uh, not just dangerous activities, but involved in, like, dangerous drugs with people who are yeah. not savory and doing yeah. things that... Yeah. driving under the influence at the speed mm-hmm. you're driving like has yeah. killed a lot of expats yeah you know like yeah so um it's been a wild ride man yeah and you just kind of alluded to you and nikki you know have a have five to ten year plan in santa barbara but the expat life is something that doesn't necessarily um have to be taken off the table like you could very well find yourself somewhere else in the third world with your wife and child and making a new life for yourself is that kind of what you're saying yeah it could happen you know yeah. and, it could, and it very well could be right here yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't like, I mean, you left originally because you were burnt out. Like you just, you weren't getting what you, out of it, what you thought you would have. Yeah. And you kind of, I mean, you do have a lot of aspirations that, um, are kind of suited for the first world based on your citizenship. Like yeah. you like politics. Yeah. You want to get involved in politics. Jack just ran for city council in Santa Barbara. Yeah. He got 30% of the vote, which is huge, yeah. which is a huge opportunity for the next round of, Next, yeah. has it a year, four years? Like, how long do you get a seat on the city council? Yeah, you get a four-year seat. I'm actually, I ran knowing I wasn't going to win, but I was, I was positioning myself to be appointed because the guy who, who beat me is probably going to vacate. So mm-hmm. hopefully, I'll be on the city council in, in a year. Yeah. So I mean, there, the first world does suit you. I mean, yeah. you know, misfits and rejects. You know, yeah. the podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates yeah. and like entrepreneurs, and it's like you are all those things, but yeah. you have also made peace with the fact that you like Santa Barbara. Yeah. You can see yourself being influential there, yeah. making life for yourself there. Yeah. And you also have the side of you that's investing, that's adventuresome, that wants to make a life or a stake in various places around the world too. Yeah. And you've done a good job of like balancing both. You know, where it's like me, for example, like I don't ever see myself living in the States. Yeah. I don't. Like I have to at times because I do love my family and I want to see them. Yeah. And if things happen to where I have to be home, I will go back. Yeah. I don't ever want to live there. Yeah. And it's like, will that change? I don't know. Maybe. I yeah. mean, I've never wanted kids and that hasn't changed. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just a lot that, you know, it's creature comforts, mm-hmm. you know, are nice up there and being able to, you know, understand the, the laws <laughs> and the typical it's stuff. conveniences for sure that we don't stuff. get here. Like that organic bakery that you talked about ain't coming. Yeah, yeah. You tried that. <laughs> I tried that. <laughs> that was a big bootstrap fail too. And that's what I did learn about being undercapitalized. Trying yeah. to bootstrap something in a place like this is yeah. impossible. Yeah. And it's, opinion. it's near impossible statistically everywhere. Yeah. If you, you just, you need, you need more capital than you think you need. Yeah. Um, do you have a website? I mean, do you? Yeah, my name.com, jackuchiferi.com. Jack Uchiferi? Uchiferi. Can you spell it for us? Uh, U-C-C-I-F-E-R-R-I. Nice. F like Frank.com. Okay. And so right now it's just geared towards my like political run. Mm-hmm. So I'll be retailoring that to different stuff. Like I write fairly frequently, a lot of times about like politics. Basically. Yeah, you write for the Huffington Post on occasions. Yeah, I've, I've, I, I publish still a little bit on the Huffington Post, but lo- more like just my local publications and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't like make money on it, but sometimes I just have like ideas and like a, get it out there to the whoever. So yeah, I, I, I write on that. Yeah. I mean, Jack is tremendously networked, um, intelligent. He's networked in Santa Barbara. He's networked in Nicaragua. So for the listeners out there who are interested in investing in Nicaragua, I think, He's always happy to answer questions and, and be more or less a sounding board. Would that be correct yeah. for somebody? Yeah. I mean, we'd even talked about that at some time making yeah. 
uh, a course or something like how yeah. to invest in Nicaragua. Yeah, it's probably still a good idea. You know, yeah. and I'm, I'm, that's another thing I'm thinking about is I'm a realtor is how I make my money day job in Santa Barbara. And like, I have a lot of expertise in this real estate market. So I'm thinking about branching out into that. And, um, you know, I, I, having started several ventures here, a couple that succeeded and a couple that didn't, like, I always feel like I could consult for people who are starting a business mm-hmm. here. Then um, it's that would be just so hard, you know, because when you start a business in Nicaragua, generally you're doing it in he- here because you don't have enough money to do it like great in the first world. So can you really afford, you know, a consultant, a consultant <laughs> who's who you just know take one, not just take one percent of their business, dude? Yeah, right. Uh, no, <laughs> I've seen enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've seen enough. Like because we, how many businesses have actually succeeded? Would you say have succeeded or are successes? in Higante or on this coastline? That's a hard question. Cause again, like even though like the, the biggest, most heavily capitalized ones have all come to the brink of failure. Yeah. And the only reason they didn't fail completely is cause they, they had enough capital that backed them. Yeah. Barely. Like there's been a few that like almost walked yeah. away. Everyone walked away from yeah. the small business ventures that yeah. you and I have started, yeah. um, that are still alive today. Yeah. Five. Yeah. You know, we st- like surf camp wise, you know, we yeah. still got like Lance, JJ's camp still exists. Emily, Emily's doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. You know, Giant so like small business, yeah, Giants foot's barely hanging on. Like small businesses, nine times out of 10 fail. More than nine times out of yeah. 10. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and it really depends on, uh, the individual who's starting it being yeah. able to, uh, balance that work life, yeah. um, relationship and not get sucked into the vices because right. super easily, as you pointed out for yourself. And then, uh, the capital being another, and then luck, luck. You know, not just getting fucked over by your Nicaraguan partner or s- making a bad decision that then leads you to yeah. having to go back and work and stay yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, is there any wise words you can leave us with a quote, <laughs> a Jackism, <laughs> uh, listen to advice that people give you, right. people you trust, yeah. who people whose, whose, uh, perspective like is valuable to you like keep your ears open and try to really internalize that mm-hmm. sometimes even your best friends who use whose words you trust like they'll tell you something and you just don't quite want to totally understand what they're saying mm-hmm. try yeah one question i actually just popped in my head that i've always wondered because in the beginning jack came down and, and he was starting surf camp so he had to buy the necessary equipment to run a surf camp so you bought a boat it was a boston whaler that boston whaler was a lake boat yeah how did you make that decision? So, cause it didn't work in the ocean. Didn't. Yeah. You know, it, I, I actually, I saw it work in the ocean okay. in San Juan del Sur. Okay. In the bay. In the bay. We took it out of the bay. Okay. But I mean, basically like, yeah, it, that, it, the whole giants of thing was a testament to not fully understanding where I was. Cause the reality is that a lot of the time, the, the voyages that I was anticipating the boat taking is on fairly flat water. You know, it's just up to Colorado and Ponga drops. Okay. And, and I mean, I'm not going to say that that was a brilliant purchase, you know, but that was like the justification and a Boston whaler. Reputable name. Doesn't get any safer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, you like from like in hindsight, 2020, like you could have looked at what the locals were using yeah, and, and knowing what type of boat to buy, you know? Yeah. yeah like you said, just, yeah. I mean, that's the thing you never know because the locals are super ignorant, nothing against them. There's just like, there's almost, especially for back then, like these people who lived here had no education, mm-hmm. no formal education. And they made a lot of like obvious technical mistakes, even in my like non-technical eye. 
So it's a balance of like, do you know better? You probably don't know better than local people, but you very well might. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you have some like formal education, mm-hmm. sometimes you're going to be right. And, and that is going to be a huge like breakthrough for the, for the local economy. And sometimes you're going to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like I actually just a side note, but like on my way out here driving from Managua, there's always dudes on the side of the road chopping like the bush, the weeds on the side of the road with machetes. They're hunched over with machetes. And it just came to us like, they need a scythe. Mm-hmm. Like they just need a longer stick, you know, so they don't have to be hunched over. Yep. And I bet that would be so much more efficient. And there wouldn't be all these like hunched over people when they're older. And I'm convinced like that, like we just need to do that. Maybe someone's tried it and it doesn't, won't work for some they're reason. But, you can buy them at the Mercado. And I've yeah. seen people try to get their employees to utilize it, but it's just that mentality of no, we are a country that is yeah. prideful in our machete, you know? Like, yeah. The hammer and sickle. Well, this is a hammer and machete, you know. Yeah, and, and that's what they use. And the bite, the like a uh, little like water bison type phenomenon, where they 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 put the saddle on their head or the whatever. Yeah, the, the yoke or the yoke, non yoke. Yeah, on on their head, uh-huh. which I've heard cuts down their strength efficiency by like ninety percent versus if they put it on their shoulders. Right. It's interesting. I didn't know that. But like, and that's so intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. You just put straps on the shoulder. You know, I, I mean, not, not to me, but I probably would have. Well, if you put like a yoke on your head oh, I see and you're you pulling something, right. you could, you wouldn't have nearly as much strength as if you put it on your shoulder. True. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's to actually rein in their strength. Maybe. Know. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Man, thank you for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Chatting with you. Yeah. I'm more of a misfit and reject than I, than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, buddy. You too. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.